0: As you can tell, we had a really good and productive week uh, in New Mexico. Always impressed and uh, glad, happy, blessed to be a part of uh, a group that can get so much work done, have a good time while doing it. Um, it's a lot of fun, uh, and, and we're just so grateful that God used us in that capacity. Um, it's good to be back with all of you, obviously. Uh, I'm glad to uh, to be home, to be here uh, to be back in front of you as your pastor. And uh, any time that I'm away, I always look forward to to getting back. Even if we are with a, a big group of our church, I always look forward to getting back here with, with all of you. So this morning, we are not going to be in the book of Judges for the first time in quite a while. <laughs> and all God's people said amen, right? Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. If you brought your Bible with you, I encourage you to go ahead and open up there. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Uh, when I was in seminary and anytime there was a break, it was always welcome that there was a break, whether it was spring break or better, summer break, uh, winter break too. Uh, it was always good to get away time away from uh, the books and the study and the learning and, and all the the intellectual rigor that it takes to, to be able to do that and to do it well. Um, at the same time though, breaks could sometimes be counterproductive uh, in that when you leave something for a while and then you go back to it, uh, you forget a bunch of stuff. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Um, You don't remember things as well as you thought you would uh, when you put it all down a couple of months uh, prior. Uh, And that was especially the case with the languages, with Greek and Hebrew for me as I was studying. If I didn't heed my professor's warning and advice. Uh, to spend a little time in the Greek and Hebrew during summer break, I would pay for it uh, when we went back to class in August and September, uh, because that information would run away from me very quickly. Uh, And since I haven't kept it up since then, and in in the same sense of studying just the original text, now I have to have all the books and stuff to help me. You know, I have a basic understanding, but a lot of that information just kind of has its way of escaping your mind. And like I said, I'm sure many of you can identify with that. Nothing against any of you, of course. I'm sure your intellect is keen, but it is a human principle, a human uh, uh, just universal truth, basically, uh, that sometimes we need refreshers. We all need reminders. This is even true in our modern world. We need reminders, and we have an entire section. If you have an iPhone or a Google phone, whatever, if you open your app store, there is an entire section of apps designed to remind you of the tasks that you want to accomplish. Because they know what you know that you might think of something that you need to do. And if you don't immediately write it down or put it in your phone or do something else, then you will forget it. You need to be reminded of that truth. And that is really Um, Even more so the case when it comes to big, long-term goals. Not that you would forget the goal, but that you need to be reminded of the importance of it, the reminder to do what you need to do in order to take the small steps to the big goal down the road. At the beginning of this year, we as a staff and I as your pastor kind of unveiled just kind of where we think that God is leading us and who God is leading us to be. Uh, We ask the question, why do we exist? What is our purpose? What did God put us here in Grandview, Texas to do? And the answer that we believe that God led us to is that FBC Grandview exists to ensure that every person in Grandview knows that they are loved by Jesus and his church. You heard me say that over and over and over and over and over again for the first several weeks of this year as we looked at what it means to do that, to help God work, not to help God, but to allow God to work through us to ensure everyone in our community that Jesus loves them and that we do too, that this is our purpose for being here, to show the love of Jesus in such a way that people come to know that love of Jesus and then to see it in the way that we interact with the people in our community as well. And so this morning, we're going to go back to that for just one Sunday and remind ourselves, refresh ourselves of what it means to be a church that does this very thing. A church that wants to give the message out to everyone around us that Jesus loves you and we do too. And we're going to do that by looking at the, the way that God fulfills prayer the way that God fulfills desire the way that God fulfills vision and to know that if we believe that God is leading us in this direction if we believe that God's mission is for us to have an impact here in Grandview and we are praying along those lines we are working along those lines that we can trust God to come through we can trust God to fulfill his word to fulfill his vision, to fulfill his mission. We can trust God every time to get the job done. You know, when I asked Cheryl to marry me years ago, I knew that she was gonna say yes. We had already talked about it. It was something that we had discussed previously about getting married. I knew that she was going to say yes. However, there was still a part of me that was nervous when that time came. I'm sure anyone who's ever been in that setting, when you've asked someone, even if it's not to marry, if it's just some big question, maybe you had to ask your parents something when you were a kid and you knew it was this big deal and, and you knew that they were going to say yes, but you didn't really know if they were going to say yes. You know what I'm talking about, right? All of your logic pointed to the reality that they were going to say yes, but there was something inside you, a voice or something else that doubted a conclusion that you thought you had already logically come to. Have you ever been delightfully surprised when you asked for something, when you expected something, doubted that it would happen, and then it came anyway? You know, those times in your life when you asked someone for something or you were hoping for something. Maybe it was even God that you were asking. And you asked not really believing that that thing would come to pass. You asked because you didn't have any other alternative, didn't have any other hope. You asked because you felt like you were supposed to. But there was this voice in the back of your head saying, nothing's going to happen. No matter how much you ask, no matter how much you want, no matter how eloquent you are in your request, this thing isn't going to come to pass. But then, despite your best doubts, that thing did happen. That gift did come. That favor was granted. God did come through in your moment of need. When you've been surprised like that, you know that it's a joy. You know that it is a reminder that Jesus loves you, that he has your best in mind. Now, it's according to his plan and his will, but it is your best that he has in mind. You see, Jesus wants to give us his best, so let's ask for it. Jesus wants to give us his best, so let's ask for it. Let's not be afraid to be a church that asks God to help us do his work that ask God to grant our request to be a church that lets our community know that Jesus loves them and that we do too. So again, we're gonna look through this lens, through the lens of the Bible, through Luke chapter 11, verse five through 13 here in just a moment, but let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for an awesome week in New Mexico. God, I thank you for the work that you did through our group through the building, through the interaction with the students on the campus, God, through all of the other people doing the the different things around us, our entire group that worked for your name. God, we are grateful to be a part of your plan and to know that you care for the orphan and the widow in their distress. God, I pray now that you would remind us that you care for us. God, I pray that you would do so by speaking to us this morning directly. God, we come with an open Bible and an open heart, expecting to hear from you this morning. And God, we know that as we read your word, we are indeed hearing from you. So God, may you remove distraction from us. May you confront us in our doubts. And God, may you speak to us in such a way that you do a work of transformation inside of us this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verses five through 13. Jesus is teaching the disciples. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up and cannot get up and give you anything. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this is immediately after Luke's recount of the Lord's Prayer. So it's obviously within the context of praying and seeking God, asking God to move, asking God to fulfill his kingdom here on earth as he does in heaven, asking God to deliver us from temptation, asking God to give us what we need for every day. It's in this context that Jesus delivers these words, kind of a semi parable, if you will. See the situation that Jesus poses about a man who goes to his friend's house (coughs) to ask for some bread in the middle of the night at midnight, Sounds a little ridiculous to us. Obviously, we have phones and we can text each other, we can call each other, we can do that sort of thing. Uh, But it's also in American culture, it would be seen as a mistake, a faux pas, if you will, to call someone and ask for something as simple as bread in the middle of the night. Most of us would respond... Um, no, I'll call you back in the morning, right? And we wouldn't get up, uh, kind of like the gentleman here did, but it's a different context in which Jesus is, is talking, uh, hospitality was essential, then and a lot of people would travel at night to avoid the heat we saw that in some of our stories and judges if you remember the last one a couple of weeks ago they would travel at night to avoid the heat of the day and they would often come in in the middle of the night uh, they would want someone to care for them to offer them hospitality hospitality was a prime virtue for the Jewish people and so if someone didn't have anything to provide a guest it would be shame upon them even if it was the middle of the night And so this gentleman who has the risk of being shamed for not having anything to offer his guests goes to a friend's house, knocks on the door, I would assume knocks on the door, maybe he whispers through it, I don't really know, and says, hey, I need three loaves of bread. Bread was the staple of the day. If he didn't have anything else, as long as he had some bread, he could give his guests some sustenance before he moved along on his journey. And it says that the friend's response at first, just being a friend isn't good enough. The friend's response at first is, no, come back. He didn't even say come back later. He just says, no, I'm in bed with my kids. I'm not going to get up right now. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily make sense to our Western ears because one of the things that they would do in the Jewish culture is that there would be one room in a house (coughs) and there would be a mat that basically the whole family would sleep on. And so in in order to get up to answer the door, he would literally be disturbing everyone in his family in order to do so, especially his kids that he talks about. Now, with a one-year-old at home, I know how important it is not to disturb a sleeping child. Can I get an amen from anyone else? Once you finally get them asleep, I'm glad y'all don't have microphones in the parsonage to hear the bedtime chaos that goes on at the Cornette house. It is the most stressful part of the day, trying to coax a three-year-old to sleep. Again, I'm sure that many of you can understand that. And it's you get them, you think you're done. You know what I'm talking about? You think you're done. They're all tucked in. You say a little prayer. Everything's nice and nice. You go in the other room. Five minutes later, daddy, both of them screaming. You come in. What do you need? I can't find this toy. Cannon is his really, 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 really picky about his toys. He has to have the exact one around him. If he can't feel it or see it, he gets a little worried. He calls us in there, find the toy. It was just three feet from him at the end of the bed, right? You pick it back up, you put it up, you're there and you think everything's fine. And then you do that a couple of times, Right, wash, rinse, repeat. Finally, they go to sleep. And if anyone were to wake them up, I wouldn't be happy. And neither would my wife. It's important to keep us. Let a sleeping child lie, right? Let the thing alone so that it can rest and so that everyone can be at peace. So you can understand why the guy might not want to get up. Even if this guy is a friend, I don't want to disturb everyone else in the household. However, he knew that his friend was going to be shamed, He knew that it was the right thing to do in the Jewish culture to get up and get that man the bread that he was asking for because he was a friend. I said it kind of tongue in cheek earlier. If you have a real close friend that calls you, even in the middle of the night, and they're in some desperate need, most of you are probably going to do something to make something happen, to help them in their time of need. That's what being a friend is about. But that wasn't enough for this individual. (coughs) He didn't care about the importance of hospitality, he didn't care about the shame that his friend might bear. But, and you can see more of this in Matthew's telling of the story, he eventually gives in. That's the understanding of the story. Because of the other ones, because of the requesters' insistence, persistence. He keeps knocking, keeps asking. That's what finally got the man to get up and give the man the bread that he was asking for. There's a moral to this story, if you will. Even a bad friend will answer your call for help if you're persistent enough. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have someone that's an acquaintance that you kind of know, but you wouldn't really consider a friend that asks you for a favor. Your first response is no, or I'm busy, or you come up with some other excuse. Second, third, fourth, fifth ask. Finally, you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not going to get away from this person. I'm just going to do what they want me to do, right? We live in the real world. I'm sure that some of you have met that dilemma before. Maybe you've been the asker sometimes, and you know there's only one person in your circle of friends that has that thing that you need, and you go to them and you ask them and you kind of get blown off, and then you ask and you ask and you ask and you ask, and eventually that person finds you annoying enough to finally give in and give you what you're asking for. Even a bad friend comes through. Even an acquaintance comes through when you are persistent enough to keep asking and then Jesus follows up the story of a persistent friend with two more quick examples. Not really stories, just kind of sayings. He says that what father among you, so he's talking to this group of people, and he says if any of you were a father, would you give your son a snake when he asked for a fish? Would you give him a scorpion when he asked for an egg? And rhetorically, the answer, of course, is no. Of course not. We wouldn't do that. Now, it actually makes sense in the Jewish world because often they would get snakes wrapped up in their nets when they were fishing. And a scorpion, when it is uh, under stress or when it feels attacked, it will curl up into a ball and might resemble an egg of some sort. So you can see why there's some similarities there. But obviously, if your son asks for an egg, you're going to give him an egg. If he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a fish. Because you're a dad, you're a father, you're a mother. That's what you do. And then Jesus expounds on that and he says, and you people are evil, basically, is what he says. Now, evil, meaning fallen, it doesn't mean that these people were thieves and murderers. It just means that they were sinners and therefore all on the same level, even with thieves and murderers, that they were fallen and short of God's glory, just like all of us on this planet are. And so he says, if you who are evil will do these things, then certainly God will too. Even fallen humans, Give good gifts to their children. Any of you who have parented, you know that you've given good things to your children, that you have a desire to give good things to your children. You've been maybe given good things by your parents. At the same time, you know that if even as you give, you might give with a heart that's pointed in the wrong direction, or you might do this great act of generosity to your child, and then the next moment you're screaming at them for something that they did wrong, We are fallen, we are imperfect, yet we know how to give good gifts to our children. It's kind of one of the basics of what it means to be a good parent in our world, to provide for your children. Now, not every parent does that, obviously, but if you don't, then it's pretty much agreed upon by society's norms, not biblical norms, that you're not fit to be a parent. It is the job of a parent, it's assumed in our culture and just about every culture to take care, to provide for your children. Even fallen humans give good gifts to their children. And so if you expect good gifts from evil people, why would you ever doubt God's desire to give you good gifts? It's essentially Jesus' argument. If you expect good gifts from a bad friend, because you're persistent, if you expect good gifts from a parent, even though they're fallen and sinful just like you, If you expect good gifts from evil people, then why in the world would you ever doubt God's desire to give you good gifts? God's heart to take care of you and to give you what you need. Again, remember, this is in context of right after he delivers the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things, even in Luke's recounting, is that daily need, that daily bread, what we need to survive, to make it from day to day. Why would we ever doubt God's desire or God's ability to do that if we expect even fallen evil people to give us good things. So then Jesus goes on. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. A knock and the door will be opened to you. Now I know this is a hard passage. Not because it's hard to understand. Jesus is very straightforward. It's a hard passage because, in the context of reality, it is sometimes a hard pill to swallow. Because you're thinking, as I'm thinking, it's probably every person who has lived through any trial at all on this planet is thinking there have been times when I've asked and I haven't received. I have sought sometimes and haven't found. I have knocked and the door remained locked. What do we do in that situation? if you trust evil people to give you good gifts, why would you ever doubt God's desire or ability to give you good gifts? It doesn't remain or it doesn't become any less true just because sometimes we don't get what we ask for. What that means is that in some mystery that is beyond our intellect, God knows more than we do. God knows what is good for you and for me. And so even in the asking and the not receiving, in reality, we are receiving exactly what God wants us to, exactly what's good for us, even if that is the opposite of what we're asking for. Easier said than done, I know. I currently don't have a terminal illness, nor does anyone in my family, my My dad and my sister have both had cancer diagnoses in the last year and have now been pronounced clear. God has come through for us. But God has also come through for those who were in the same treatment facility that my dad and my sister were who have now passed on and went with him. It's not not as if God was not gracious to them It's not as if God does not love them or wanted to give us good things, but not them good things. God shows no favoritism. We know that to be the case. There is something about this passage that is hard because of reality because we don't always get what we want. And it is a hard pill to swallow to say, well, you get what you need. It's true, but I don't really like the way that sounds. And I know many of you don't either. What I want you to hear instead is that God loves you. And why would you ever des- ever doubt his desire or his ability to give you exactly what you need to get through today? To give you today your daily bread. To lead you not into temptation. To help you be a part of making this kingdom look like his kingdom. Why would you ever doubt God's ability or desire to do just that? If you expect the IRS to mail you your tax return check, then why would you expect a fallen system to work and not the hand of God? I know it is easier said than done, as I've already said, but it all comes down to trusting that God has our best interest in mind. And our part is to pursue and to trust in the goodness of God because Jesus wants to give us his best. So let's ask for it. Jesus wants to give us his best, not our best. Jesus wants to give us his best. So let's ask for it. What we believe that God has led us as a church to pursue, and what we believe that God has put before us is what is his best in this community, is to be a church who dedicates itself to ensuring that everyone around us knows that Jesus loves them and that we do too. (coughs) FBC Grandview exists to ensure that every person in Grandview knows that they are loved by Jesus and his church. This is our why. We trace everything we do back to this goal, everything we want back to this goal, and we look through that lens, and if things don't match up, And we begin to question, are we doing what God wants us to do? What God is leading us, calling us to do? And we do so in three steps. We want you first to know the love of Christ. To know that you are loved by Jesus and his church. That is our first desire. Anytime you come here, we want you to know that. Whether we're preaching out of the gospel of Luke or out of the cynical book of Judges. Or it's not cynical. God's word isn't cynical. Cynicism-inducing, sometimes it creates that within us. But no matter where we're coming, whether it's a terrible story, like the one we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, or whether it is a hopeful story about if you ask, you will receive, whatever it is we see in God's word, we come to the ultimate conclusion at the end of it that God loves you, that God will come to you, that God will give himself to you, that God's grace is bigger than our faults, That God will extend Himself to us despite our fallenness. Judges is a huge example of that reality. And that God wants to meet your needs, even the needs, especially the needs you don't know about, the things you don't know to ask for. And so the first thing that we do is we know that we are loved by Jesus and His church. I think we've had some wins with that this year. Every time I see a new person enter our fellowship, I hope that that is communicated. I hope that they see that. And I've seen examples of that. We had some go with us on our mission trip this year that are brand new to our church and talked about at the end when we were sharing together, talked about the love of our group and feeling that love. They knew that they're loved by Jesus and his church. And even though we've seen wins, we can continue to press in more and to do more, to allow God to do more through us by communicating that to the people around us. What's the last time you've had a discussion of any kind with your neighbor? I'm, I am embarrassed to say that, that we don't know ours very well at all. Perhaps it is something that we could do to extend ourselves to our literal neighbors to let them know that Jesus loves them and that this church does too. We know that we're loved by Jesus and his church. We grow in love. We know love. We grow in love towards one another and ultimately towards God. We hope and we pray that as you come here and as you get involved, that you look for a group to be a part of on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. And if we start some others during the week, we'll let you know. But right now, that's what we got. So we encourage you to be a part of one of these grow groups so that you can dive in and do life with one another. Learning more about God, learning more about each other, growing closer to God and growing closer to each other. We've seen some huge wins in the last six months on this regard. We have a men's group that has become very active on Wednesday nights, Uh, went on a a trip together back in the spring. Uh, God met us there and really spoke to us as a group, seeing some great relationships built. Whether we're doing a Bible study or we're playing volleyball like we did a few weeks ago, we're just seeing some great community built within that group. Our ladies group is taking off also on Wednesday night. Our other groups, our our other adult groups that meet on Wednesday nights are taking off and are having community together. Right now, the adult group that normally meets in the uh, uh, library, They'll get together a little early on Wednesday nights during the summer and have lunch or supper together. In the fellowship hall, we're seeing community growing within our groups. We see Sunday school classes getting together outside of Sunday morning just to hang out, just to spend time with one another, growing in unity. I'm hearing people talk to me. I even got to talk to the leader of one of our Sunday school groups during the mission trip this week and, and hear about what they're studying and how God is using the Bible to teach them and to challenge them to grow not only in community but also closer towards him. And so I would encourage you that if you're not involved in a group to get involved in a group so that you can grow closer to God and closer to one another. And then finally, our end goal is that we would become a group of people that know the love of God, grow in love towards God and to one another, and show that love to others to ensure that everybody around us knows that Jesus loves them and that we do too. Again, I've seen some really cool wins on this the last six weeks or the last six months. I know there's a group of ladies that during the school year got together every so often to make some things to take to the school. And they didn't do it with a bunch of fanfare so that people would know about it. I didn't even know about it until Cheryl texted me one day and said, hey, did you know some ladies from First Baptist brought a bunch of stuff up to the church? And the only reason why she didn't know about it, she knew about it, she was actually out of school that day doing some UIL stuff, is that she had got a text from one of her co-teachers saying and had a picture of you're loved by Jesus and, or we lo- Jesus loves you and we do too Attached to some stuff that some people from this church Took up to the school That is an awesome example of people showing The love of Christ to others We see that in the things that we The ministries that we do in our community As well, The things that we've always done We see God work through us in the nursing home At the schools, in people's homes God is moving through us To show the love of Christ to others Again, I want to encourage you and challenge you What can we do more Along those regards the challenge that we gave you at the beginning of the year is if you belong to a group, begin to ask the question, how can your group come together to show the love of Christ to others? And I would once again challenge you in that line. Some of you see things in your community and you say there ought to be something done. Take that to your group. Take that to some friends. It doesn't have to be your Sunday school, or your grow group group. Just take it to some friends and, and do something about it in the church. Allow Christ to move through you to show his love to other people. And that is our goal, as simply as we know how to put it. In order to ensure that everyone in this community knows that Jesus loves them and that we do too, we want you to know Christ's love, we want you to grow in Christ's love, and we want you to show Christ's love. And we believe that God can do that. We believe that God can do a work in this community. We believe that God can even use fallen people, fallen pastors, fallen grow group leaders, Fallen staff members, fallen deacons, fallen congregational members, fallen us. We believe that God can use us to make a difference in this community. I believe that because He states it. It is God's desire that no one should perish. It is God's desire that we should go into all the nations preaching His good news and baptizing and making disciples. It is God's will that we should share that love. We know this to be the case. So why would we ever doubt that God could use us to make that happen? If the Holy Spirit lives in you, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, and we fully believe that. Why would we ever doubt God's ability to use us? God's desire to fulfill this vision. God's desire to fulfill his word, his great commission. Why would we ever doubt that God had, does not have the ability or the desire to do exactly what he promised that he would do through us? The church... As a whole in America and in the Western world seems to be a group of people who love to get together, who love to feel good with a message and a song, but who have forgotten or have failed or have started to doubt God's ability to actually work through us on a day-to-day basis at work, in our homes and in our schools, in our communities. We think that everyone is against Christianity now, so we just need to pull back and shut up and be in our holy huddle and protect ourselves and not worry about going out when God's desire has always been for us to go and spread the good news. It's his desire. It hasn't changed. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't created a plan B yet. It is still his calling for you and for me to go and make disciples in his name, to preach the good news, all to share all that we have seen and heard. This is what God still desires for us to do, let us not be a church that doubts his ability or his desire to do that through us. Instead, let us walk as if we actually believe that God can use us. Do you believe that God can leverage you to ensure that the people around you know that Jesus loves them and that you do too? Do you believe that God can use and leverage this church to let the people in our community know that Jesus loves them and that we do too. I have no reason to doubt that God wants to fulfill his word. Jesus wants to give us his best. So let's ask him, be reminded of the vision. Be reminded of the call and be reminded today, be refreshed in the knowledge from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus himself, that he wants to, he will meet our needs. I like the way Luke tells this story because he's got one difference from Matthew's telling. The last word in 13, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew says good things to those who ask him. Luke recounts it as the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What's the difference? Good things are good things. I love good things, but the giver is better. The Holy Spirit is what I want. The presence and the person of Jesus is what I want. God wants to give you his best. God wants to give you himself. Please don't doubt that. Please don't be cynical in a world full of cynicism to believe that God doesn't care or that God can't or that God won't. We know his will on this one and we can trust him to use us to make a difference in this world. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. I believe that God can use me. I believe that God can use you. I believe that God can use us. Jesus wants to give us his best himself. So let's ask him for it. During our time of invitation this morning, perhaps God is calling you to know him as savior and to know his love for the first time. I'll be down here and you can come with me and talk to me about that as we're singing together. Perhaps God is reminding you this morning that he has a job for you. He has a purpose for you. He wants to move through you. Or maybe you're being reminded this morning of some prayer that you've offered up to God that you don't feel like he's doing anything with and you need some encouragement in that regard. I'll be down here to pray with you about this or anything else this morning. Let's stand together. I'm gonna pray. Bill and Lynn are gonna lead us in a song of invitation. And as they do, would you please move in whatever way God is calling you to?